Hallelujah. I want to minister a message to you this morning. Genesis chapter 1, if you would. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, by the way, I want to let you know that we kicked off our morning prayer, our Sunday morning prayer for the month of July uh, this morning. And uh, man, it's going to be some powerful times. I'm, I'm encouraging you, you know, especially coming out of this series that we just came out of. And if you missed any of those messages, um, or really, you know, if you need to go back and catch any more, get online and get those me- get those messages. Um, probably one of the most powerful series that I've ministered just based upon the times and what's going on in the world today, what's going on in our nation today. And um, we've got to know who we are as a church and what we're called to do in the midst of these times. You know, uh, Paul told Timothy... He said, preach the word in season and out of season. Now, you know, a lot of us ministers like to uh, think of that as a reference to always being ready to give a word. Uh, You know, whether you've prepared or whether you've not prepared, always be ready to give a word. But really what that means is in favorable times and when times aren't favorable is really what he's referencing there. Meaning when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it, when they receive you. And when they reject you, what do you do? You just keep preaching the word. And so our position uh, and our role as the church here in the last days shouldn't wane and, and shouldn't fall away. We should continue to pursue, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of evil and the calamity that we're seeing. It just gives us all the more reason to continue doing what we're doing. Amen. I want to remind you that the church was birthed out of severe persecution. The church wasn't birthed because everyone got together and said, you know what we need? We just really need a church. We just need someone to get up here and preach and show us the way to the king and show us who God is and and demonstrate his kingdom. No, they didn't want to hear anything about God. They just killed Jesus. And the church was birthed out of that. And there was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of uh, 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 rejection to the word of God. But the church has flourished and the church is going to continue to flourish. Amen. We are immovable. We are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So be sure and go online and, and, and catch those messages. Listen to them again. Um, you know, I don't really like using the word relevant very much uh, because sometimes it, it can seem like, you know, I'm trying to make it fit where we're at. And bottom line is the kingdom of God is not going to fit in this world's theology or this world's doctrine. It's not ever going to be a round hole a round peg and a round hole. It's always going to be contrary. It's always going to contradict in that sense. But relevant in the sense that there are things, and it was amazing. It seemed like each week that we had a message going, something happened in our nation or in the world that just continued to stress the importance of that message. Amen? So you'll want to uh, go online and get that message. Um, Also, I do want to make this quick statement. Uh, Last week, I gave a very brief uh, summary of uh, the ruling that took place in the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago. Um, I I think I spent about 15, 20 minutes on that. We did not put that piece out online. Uh, That is something for our church body. And so if you have questions or concerns or would like to know where the church stands or what our role, our position is, by all means, you can ask us. Um, but that's not something I want to put online because you got to know a person's heart when you cover situations like that. And um, I know that we have people that just listen to us. I, I know that 
uh, our website has really even turned into an opportunity for people that are searching the church and want to get to know who we are and, and what we preach and believe. They can go listen to a message and never have met us. Um, but those type of things are for the church body. And we have a stance. We have a position. And I briefly covered it. I didn't go in a lot of detail. Um, but uh, if you would like to know, we can definitely reiterate those things for you. Um, but I just want you to know that that is not online. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that creeps or that moves on the earth. Uh, what we have to understand out of this, and, and you've heard us minister this many times, is that God gave man dominion or control in the earth. We are to govern the earth. That word dominion means to subdue. It means to govern. It means to control. And so God created the earth, and the earth belongs to God by right of creation. The, the Bible tells us in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness therein. It belongs to to God, but God took what He created it, what He created, and put it in the possession of you and I, of mankind. At this time here in Genesis 1:26, He creates male and female. We know that He creates Adam and Eve. They're the first two initial beings on the planet, and God gave them the authority to govern and to control. You you can't rule without authority. I can't put you in charge of something but not give you the authority to rule over. If I delegate something to you, then I have to give you the authority to make decisions and to operate as if you were in charge. And so Adam and Eve here on the earth are to be ruling and to operating in the earth, governing the earth. They're in control. They're in control. Therefore, it's up to mankind what comes in and what goes out. It's up to man what comes in and what goes out. I, I was just reading uh, something on, I believe it was Facebook this past week, where uh, a minister uh, made this statement on Facebook. And, and Facebook's just a tough place to do these things. You, you know, you're, uh, again, if they don't know you, if you remove the relational aspect in these things, you're, you're, you're missing a lot. And this is a well-known minister. I mean, if I said his name, probably 90% of you would know the name and know who he is. Um, and, and he was totally right. He's totally true. He made this statement. He said, God is not in control. Contrary to your thinking, God is not in control of the earth. I knew exactly where he was going. And he went to verses such as Genesis 1:26 and Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 9, verses that we'll look at here today. And he said, God is not in control. And... God is not in control. And it was amazing. I mean, not perplexing, not surprising, but amazing to see how difficult that is for people to comprehend. 
I mean, how many of you heard growing up, God is in control? You just heard that statement. God is in control. Thank God, God is in control. I'll tell you what, God is sovereign, absolutely. God is sovereign. And God will speak a word and declare it, and it has to be that way. Yes, he is in control. But when God is in control, he is in control of one thing, his word. What's that mean? That means when he says a thing, it has to be that way. Because God is a king. God can't retract on a statement. You realize if God could take back one thing that he has promised in his word, he could take them all back. Now, how many of you know there are blessings and promises declared in the word of God over our lives, and we know those things to be true? They are yes and amen, right? His word will never change. His word will remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he declares a thing, it is that thing. And so here in Genesis 1:26, this is no small feat. This is, this is nothing to take lightly. God has created the earth and then handed over delegated power and authority to mankind to rule and govern the earth as God rules heaven. Now, there's, there's one item, there's one qualifying factor that we have to keep in mind, and that is man is to be in obedience directly to God's rule. Which means if I disobey God, if I do not submit to God's authority, I lose my authority. I lose my dominion. I lose my power in the earth. What I'm supposed to be controlling is not going to obey me because I'm not in obedience to God. How can I expect something to listen to me and to respond to me if I'm not listening and responding to God? Right? And so we see this. You go, you know, we only make it two chapters. Now, sometimes I wish God would at least let us have an entire book before we see things fall apart. But we make it two chapters. And, and, and here we are. We have uh, Adam and Eve disobeying the only word, the very word that he told them not to do. Do not eat of this tree. Why? Because the deceiver showed up. Remember, we said this in our series we just got out. We said opposition is nothing new to God. God has been opposed of since the very beginning. If you think that, you know, all the things that we're seeing, and this is just fresh and new to the church and to God, and you're like, what's God going to do now? How's he going to respond in the midst of opposition? He's been opposed since the very beginning. There has always been somebody that's wanted to try to stop what he's doing. There's always been somebody or something that's tried to thwart the plan of God in the earth. And we know the deceiver shows up. How many of you know he's still operating the same way in the earth today? He's still working the same way. He's trying to deceive the sons of God. You realize when you become deceived, you become ineffective. When you become deceived, you become ineffective because deception will paralyze you. Deception will get you working hard at the wrong thing. There are people that have sold out their entire purpose because of deception. Because they thought they were fighting one cause when they really weren't. Because they thought they were doing something that was beneficial for them, but they really weren't. The deceiver, he's showing up to deceive many. But we see here, that God is not in control. He has placed us 
in control. You and I are in control. We are in a fallen world, in a fallen state, and it is a position of mankind that allowed it to take place. We've got to understand this. You realize that Adam and Eve had every resource given to them to defeat that snake. The resource was God's word. Because if they just simply obeyed the word of God, they didn't need any tools. They didn't need any weapons. God didn't need to give them, you know, an axe to chop the snake's head off. They just simply had to obey the word of the king. Just obey what he said to do. Do not eat of the tree. How many times we're trying to fight the devil devil, rather than obeying God? But what does James said? Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. You realize that your submission to God is your greatest weapon against the enemy. I don't need any special tool. I don't need any special weapons. I don't need, you know, to go out and just get a bunch of spiritual armor. All I need to do is know God's word, understand God's word, and obey God's word. And the enemy can't touch me. The enemy can't touch me. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to build the case here, and then we're going to look at a story out of Genesis. We'll drive home our point. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. We know it to be the Lord's Prayer, and this is a pattern of prayer. This is showing us, Jesus showing his disciples how to pray. How to structure a prayer. And he says this in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he says these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want to go back up to verse 10. He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You realize Jesus came to restore what Adam lost. Jesus came to restore back to man what Adam lost. And what is that? The delegated power and authority in the earth to rule and govern once again. That's why Jesus came. The cross was necessary to get us there. His death, burial, and resurrection was necessary to get us there. But he taught the kingdom of God. And he taught man's power and man's rule in the earth once he comes under God's alignment once again. If we would align ourselves, there's a word for that, it's called righteousness. If we would... Make get ourselves righteous, come into the kingdom, then we could rule and govern once again. And he uses these words. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's the very command that Adam and Eve were given. Make the earth look like heaven. How many of you know God has a will for the earth today? I'm concerned if the church truly understands what the will of God is for the earth today. Because if we don't understand his will, how are we going to carry out our purpose? 
If we don't understand what he wants to accomplish in the earth today, how are we going to carry out why we're here? What God has given us a mandate to do, the mission that we're on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means if God wants it in heaven, he wants it on earth. If God wants it done in heaven, he wants it done on earth. And you and I are here to carry out his will. How do we do that? Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm giving short summaries to these things. As a teacher, I have to fight the urge to just break down and just start going line upon line uh, because we'd be here all night. And I don't want to do that to you. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you, here it is, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He's telling Peter here that I am about to raise up my church. My church, my people, my nation. We know that Peter later on tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Jesus now introduces his church. See, you would think that Jesus would be taking on this mandate himself. You think that Jesus, he's the son of God and he's already shown his power. He's already shown his authority. But no, he says, I'm not staying here forever. Over in John 14, we know that he tells us, I'm going to the father. And it's to your advantage that I go to the father so I can send you the Holy Spirit so you can accomplish my father's purpose in the earth. He says, whatever you loose, the church will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind, the church on the earth will be bound in heaven. Keys denote authority. Keys are a symbolism of authority. If I give you a key to something, I'm giving you the authority over that. If I say, here's, Here's the keys to my truck. Do, you know, go use it with you. Go wherever you need to go. You now have authority. If someone comes up to you and said, hey, what are you doing with Pastor Mark's truck? Where are you going? You say, uh, I've got the keys. He gave me the keys. You have the authority. If I give you the keys to the building, if I say, oh, yeah, you need to come up here and do that thing, and you got the keys. And if someone were to try to come up here and say, what are you doing up here? What are you doing in here? You're not supposed to be in here. You say, oh, Pastor Mark gave me the keys. Keys give you access. And what you have access to, you have authority over. 
Amen. And so we got to understand that God is trying to get his church in a position of authority. He's, dry, he's trying to get his church in a position to rule and reign with dominion and with authority on the earth once again. God is a restorer. God is a healer. We just sing about it. He restores all things. He heals all things. That means he gets it back to the way it was. We all have this idea that man was on the earth and then man fell, man sinned. And God said, okay, forget the whole earth business. Let's just go to heaven. And we have this idea that Jesus came, died on the cross so we could all get to heaven one day. And although that will happen, although that is a byproduct, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so you and I could get heaven back into the earth once again. Our access to heaven isn't so we can leave and go there. It's so we can get it here. So we can experience heaven in our jobs. So we can experience heaven in our homes. So we can experience heaven in our families. Now, no, we're not going to receive and, and see uh, heaven fulfilled in our lives uh, in its full entirety until Jesus comes back and rules and reigns once again. We know that. But Jesus said, don't look here or there for the kingdom because the kingdom of God is within you. That means if the world's going to see the kingdom, it has to go through the church first. It's got to go through you and I. We are the ones that are going to reveal the kingdom of God to the world. Remember we saw in the series we just came out of, Romans chapter 8, the world, has, the earth is waiting in pain, in groanings for the sons of God to be revealed. The world is waiting for you to be revealed to it. So, the title of my message today is Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. And go over to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to talk about standing in the gap. Standing in the gap. Now, we think that the things that we're seeing in our nation today are horrible, and they are. And, you know, honestly, a lot of it just has to do with the fact that we had a, a trust and a hope in our nation and in our government. And, and for the most part, you know, I, I, I get this sense that a lot of Christians just felt left, let down by this nation that once upheld biblical principles, that once upheld godly lifestyles. And we're, we're seeing that our own nation isn't backing us up. It's diminishing. I, I, I said this last week. I said, Parents, do not expect America to help you raise your children any longer. They're not going to do it. You're going to have to become more vocal. You're going to have to watch what they put in front of their eyes and what they're putting in their ears. You're going to have to watch. That doesn't mean you put them in a bubble. That means you reinforce biblical principles in the midst of darkness. But America's no longer, you're not going to be able to turn on a TV show and they're going to reinforce, oh, you don't talk to your parents that way. I mean, today's TV shows, the teenagers are geniuses and the parents are stupid. Anybody recognize that? Parents don't know anything. The teenagers are the ones that know it all. 
and they can tell the parents how it is. And, you know, now we're, we're just seeing even more. You know, I read a, an email to you a few weeks ago uh, that I received about a show where uh, the dad is trying to figure out if he wants to be a woman or a man. And as sad as it is to see it on TV, it's really happening in homes all across this nation. And that's what's reinforcing it. So, you know, we, we, we see things taking place in our nation. But I want to show you a nation today that was so bad that God had to wipe it off the face of the planet. In Genesis chapter 18, let me just give you a little background here. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 15, God visits Abraham and Sarah and says, I'm about to conceive that child within you. When I come back this time next year, you will have this child. He's talking about the promise that he promised Abraham 25 years previous. 75-year-old man that cannot have children, and God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations because God loves to pick people that would be the least likely. And so he chooses Abraham, and so 25 years Abraham's been waiting. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, says, if we're going to make this happen, people are going to have to start calling you that. They're going to have to start calling you a father of many nations even before you're even a father of one. And so here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 18, Abraham once again receives a promise. Sarah laughs. But God knows how to fulfill a promise against all odds. But then we get over to verse 16, and it says this. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, watch this, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? See, God is changing his agenda. He's, he's turning from declaring his nation over Abraham, and now he's turning to a nation he's getting ready to remove. He's getting ready to bring in a nation, and he's getting ready to remove a nation. He's turning now. And so he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In him. He says everything that's about to proceed from Abraham is going to bless the rest of the earth. So he's saying, should, should I hide this thing? I'm about to go take care of business over here, but I feel like I need to let Abraham in on it. Now, Abraham is a symbol of righteousness. The Bible tells us that Abraham had faith. He was a man of faith. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. There's, there's a parallel here with our earth today. Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of the greatest evil, there is still a righteous remnant in the earth today that God is wanting to use to birth a new nation out of. Jesus said the, the last days, the signs of the end, will be just like the days of Noah. Well, even in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the evil that we see in Genesis chapter 6, it says, but Noah was uh, found favor in the sight of the Lord and walked justly before the Lord. Guys, we've got to understand as a church that even in the midst of darkness, God is still looking for righteousness. 
It will never become so dark that God says, well, just forget it. He's still looking for righteous people. And are you and I going to be that righteous church, that holy church that is the righteous remnant in the midst of darkness? He says, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He's saying, should I let him in on this? Guys, we ought to know as the righteous church, we ought to know what God is going to be doing. You realize this is the only book that we have that historically can tell us the future accurately with pinpoint accuracy. I made this statement before. We're no longer looking for the signs of Jesus's return. We are looking at them. They're happening right before us. And the church should be able to recognize these things. God's not trying to hide his coming. Well, you know, no one will know. We won't know the day or the time. You know, we won't be able to rec- You know, there is a preparation that should be taking place within the church. There were ten virgins. There were five wise and five foolish. The five wise, although they didn't know when, they were still prepared. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Why? Because we're here to govern. We're here to rule. We have dominion. Verse 19, look at this. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so now the Lord turns to Abraham and he says this, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very great, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He says, if it's not really as bad as I'm hearing it is, I'll know. The Lord knows how to recognize righteousness versus unrighteousness. He knows how to identify it. It, 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 It's no secret. It's not being hidden. He knows how to identify unrighteousness, and he knows what to do about it. And notice he's not just going on the the fact that I'm hearing about it. He says, there's an outcry coming, and if it's different than that, I'll know. But God will find out for himself. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still, or still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? This is where it gets exciting, guys. You and I are the church of the living God. You and I are the ones that have dominion and authority in the earth. And we are still in the earth. This is not something we should be trying to escape. This isn't something we should be trying to abandon. This is something we should be trying to save. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place, and not spare it for the 50 that were in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's calling God out right here. He's calling God. He's saying, are you... Telling me you're going to treat the righteous people the same way you would treat the, the wicked? What, what is he saying? He's saying, if there's righteousness in the midst, you ought to be treating it differently. 
you know, we, we've heard people say it before. You know, the church is the one string holding this whole thing together. Right? You and I being in the earth today. You and I living in the earth today as the church is what's holding. If this church comes up out of this place, I mean, the Bible tells us what's going to happen. Right after that rapture takes, the, church, the world is on the clock. And destruction, it's going to make Sodom and Gomorrah look like marshmallows. It's going to make that look like nothing. Child's play. What's going to happen, the destruction, the cities, the nations that are going to be torn apart. But the righteous are still in the earth. Amen? There's still a righteous remnant. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose... There were five less. Say there was 45. Would you destroy all the city for a lack of five? He said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. He said to him yet again, suppose there should be 40 found there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. He said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found. Let's do 30. He said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed now. I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. He said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. The role of the church is not to be declaring judgment upon the world. Sometimes I don't think we really understand how much mercy and how long-suffering God is, how patient he is, not just with us, his church, but with the world, with the world. I, I told our leadership team this just a couple meetings ago. I said, you know, one of the things of a leader, one of the character traits of a leader that really defines a leader is patience. I, I, I said most of the time, a leader will be patient with someone else where the rest of the team has already given up on them. Where the rest of the team is thinking, why haven't they removed that person? Why are they still here? They're, they're not holding this there. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And the leader's heart isn't, I'm waiting to get you out. The leader's heart is, I'm hoping you get it right. God's heart is always get it right. God's heart is always adjusting. And we see here that Abraham is declaring uh, to God, do not take the nation out for the sake of the righteous. For the sake of the righteous. Now we know that judgment's coming upon the world one day. We know that one day that mercy and that long suffering is going to come, is going to run dry, and it's going to be time for the world to be judged. 
But until that time, it's not our job to be saying, God, why aren't you doing something about this? God, why aren't you removing this president? God, why aren't you doing something about this? Why are you allowing these things? No, our position is God forgive us. That's what we were praying this morning in morning prayer. Is praying for God's forgiveness on our nation for turning its back. God, be patient with us. God, have mercy on us. We've got to stand in the gap. The church in the last days has to be able to stand in the gap in the midst of the most offensive sin. And Abraham here is counting down. He wasn't satisfied with 50. He wasn't satisfied with 45. He's not satisfied with 40 and 30 and 20. He's not satisfied. He gets down to 10 and says, God, if there's just even 10 in the midst of an entire city. That's a minority that's following God. That's 10 is a minority. And, and, and we know there's not even 10 in there. And the destruction comes upon the city. So the Lord went his way, verse 33. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. There's three things I want to show you out of Abraham's prayer. Abraham is a picture of the church in the last days. Abraham is the symbol of righteousness in the last days. Guys, our heart shouldn't be, well, the world's going to get theirs. Jesus, just take me home. I can't wait to go because you know, all this destruction's going to happen. That wasn't Abraham's position. He didn't say, hey, I just had a conversation with God, and I'm about to have a baby. I'm getting what I've been waiting for. I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Look at me. I've got, I've got a nation coming out of me. Stinks for you, but look, at, I'm getting ready. He doesn't say that. In the midst of receiving his blessing, he still is able to look out and say, Lord, save them. Is what God is doing in your life clouding your compassion for the world? Are we just so concerned with God blessing us that we don't see the world that's lost and dying and going to hell around us? Or do we understand that we're blessed to be a blessing? Abraham understood the reason I'm blessed is because I'm righteous and I can stand in the gap for this nation. And he's pleading with God. He doesn't just casually ask him. Just say, hey, God, you know, if it's, if you got it deep down, you know, if it's somewhere in your heart, you know, save them. But, I mean, whatever you got to do. No, he's pleading. He's fighting for a nation that he's not even a part of. He didn't choose to go there. Lot chose to go there. His nephew chose to go there. But yet he understands his role in the earth as a righteous man to stand in the gap. For the lost. Three things I want to show you out of God's prayer. Number one, it is not the presence of evil that brings an end to God's mercy. It's the absence of good. You realize that if there were just ten in the midst of that entire city, God would have saved the city. There's no amount of evil in the earth today that can overcome the righteous that remain. 
So sometimes we underestimate our role. It's just, you know, we're being outnumbered. The, the, the world's attacking the church. They're attacking us. Now they're taking away our civil rights. Now they're doing this. Now they're doing that. I mean, what are we supposed to do? You realize you will never be justified in not standing in the gap for evil. God is looking for one righteous man. And it's amazing what one righteous person will do in the midst of judgment. You realize God is willing to spare an entire nation because one man stepped up and said, don't let this happen. It's not the presence of evil. God wasn't saying they're just too bad. I can't do anything about it. He was saying there's not ten. You realize if Abraham would have said, if you just find one righteous person in there, and he would have saved the city because Lot was the one righteous. Are we more concerned with how evil the world is than we are with how good God is? See, sometimes we look at the world and say it's just it's so horrible, that, and, and we give up on them. We leave them out. We we don't pray for them. We don't want to help them. We just say, "You go on and do your thing. I'm just going to continue doing my good Christian little thing over here. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep reading my Bible and doing my little prayers and believing God's going to bless me, and one day I'm going to go to heaven." Are we more focused on how evil the world is than we are on how God on how good God is? And you realize what you're focused on is what you're drawn to. Guys, this is not a time for the church to get, uh, you know, all caught up in what's going on in the world. This is, this is not a time to start talking about how bad the world is. This is a time to start declaring how good our God is. That he's merciful and if you would turn from your ways, he would save even your life. We've got to represent and reflect a good God. You understand, Abraham realizes he's held accountable for the earth. If you are made steward of something, then that means you are held accountable for it. And we as a church are going to be held accountable as to how we stand in these last days. And I don't just mean standing for truth and saying, well, everybody knows what I believe. But how well are you helping others to find the truth? Or have we written them off? Number two, number two, Abraham wasn't just interested in his glory, but rather God's glory. Abraham wasn't doing this because he wanted to be known as the one man that saved an entire nation from fire, hell, and brimstone. He puts it on God. He says, you, you realize that if you go and you wipe out this nation and treat all these righteous people the way uh, you treat the wicked, you're the one that's on stand here. They're all going to look to you. Abraham wasn't interested in his glorification. He was interested in God being glorified. And he said, God, you better understand something. Far be it from you that you would carry out this judgment on both the wicked and the righteous. In the last days, guys, the church has to be 
more interested in God than they are in themselves. This is not a day for the church to rise up and say, look at how good we're doing. Look at how great we are. Look at how many of this we've gotten, how much of this we've gotten, how much land and how much buildings and how much money. This is a day for the church to rise up and say, God needs to be glorified in this nation and in this world and in this city and in our communities. And in the midst of all the darkness, he's going to receive all the glory. We've got to glorify God. It's not a time to complain. Not a a time to to talk about how bad it is. God is on the throne. God is still ruling. God is still reigning. And he still receives all the glory. In the midst of all the darkness, he still receives all the praise. He still needs to be exalted. Sometimes I think that we complain about our problems more than we thank God for what we do have. Thankfulness. The third thing, last point. We understand out of this that God will save many for a few. God will save many for a few. We cannot underestimate our role on the earth. We have been given dominion. We have been given stewardship over this earth. And we need to take responsibility for what we're in. We need to take responsibility for what we see. Guys, there is no amount of darkness that can show up that will ever thwart the light. He told us to be light in the midst of darkness. And, and thank God for so many years that the, the church has been able to have a solid foundation, even within this country. But now when we're starting to see the rejection, now when we're starting to see things come against the church, now when, when we're starting to see things take a hard turn, towards evil and towards darkness, this is not the time to become silent. This is not the time to shut our mouths. This isn't the time to to back away. This is the time to continue pursuing and advancing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God advances in the midst of the greatest tribulation. Because what we're doing can save many. We don't have to be the majority. You realize that? You could be one in the midst of a hundred. And if you're righteous in the midst of unrighteousness, God will save many for the sake of one. He's looking to us. He's looking to the church. We've got to be a church that stands in the gap. This isn't a time to start uh, ranting and raving about how much we oppose something. We need to talk about what we are for. I'm not saying compromise. I'm not saying bend over. I'm not saying uh, uh, step back. I'm saying continue to stand for truth. You realize in Matthew 24, Jesus said that lawlessness would abound and the love of many would grow cold. The love of many would grow cold. Now, 
I didn't get any divine revelation on this. God didn't say this is what I meant when I said this. Uh, you know, I, I don't have anything like that. But, you know, most of the time when I've read that verse, I've always thought that the love he's talking about is the love for each other. The love of the love for God, because we know that many will fall away from the faith. Right. We, we've seen that. But I, I saw it this way. The lawlessness would abound and the church would forget how to love people that are bound in lawlessness. God, are we only a church that operates in love when they accept what we're saying? Are we a church that can only love people when they do what we like them to do? Lawlessness will abound, but we still know how to love. I believe that's the church that Jesus is coming back for. Worship team, if you come. I believe that that's what God wants to reveal in these last days. We just celebrated our nation's independence yesterday. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, sometimes it was hard to be thankful for this country in the light of what's just taking place. It was hard to celebrate, mostly because people have a skewed view of independence, and a skewed view of freedom. They don't really know what that means. But guys, we got to be thankful for where we are. You realize you could have been born at any era, any time, and God destined you to be born when you were born, to be in the earth for such a time as this. Guys, we're responsible for this earth. We're responsible for its health. We're responsible for its healing. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Yes, it's subject to fertility. Yes, it's going to be destroyed. Yes, the God of this world is Satan himself. But we know this, that we are a righteous remnant in the earth to declare God's blessings. To love people. To love people in the midst of their worth. remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What is the church giving today that shows the love of God? What are we giving? Are we just giving out Facebook posts that just talk about, you know, what just happened and this thing and that thing? Are we declaring the goodness of God? Declaring that He is the King? Or are we just, you know, talking more about what we don't stand for and what we don't believe rather than what we do? Does anybody in this room stand for love? Does anybody in this room stand for long suffering and patience? Does anybody in this room stand for mercy and grace? And I told you, I'm working on it right now, working hard developing a series that'll help us learn and know how to respond in love. There's a lot of people that, uh, as a pastor, you know, sometimes I wish I had more answers. There are so many questions. But I do know this, that God is love. You realize 
that if we aren't reflecting the love, then we're not reflecting God. God loves the world. God loves us. And God wants his church to stand in the gap in these last days. God wants his church to rise up. Not compromise, but be able to see people bound in sin and say, God, please, save them, deliver them, show them your freedom, show them your liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. They need the Spirit of God. We don't have a race issue. We don't have a gun issue. We don't have a civil rights issue or a a, a homosexual agenda. We have a Jesus issue. People need the kingdom of God. And you and I are in the earth to declare that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you this morning that we declare the goodness of God the promises of God, the blessings of God. We know that there's a need to be righteous. We know that there's a need to be holy. But Father, we thank you that we can stand in the gap. We can stand in the gap for those that do not acknowledge you. Father, we thank you. Not We, 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 we don't aren't concerned with those that are falling away. We can are more concerned with those that will open their ears to us, open their hearts to us, open their minds to receive the word that we bring. And Father, above all, we pray that you receive all the glory and you receive all the praise. We know that one day the day is coming that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But Father, we want to see people come into your kingdom and proclaim your Lordship over their lives. Father, I thank you that we remain in our rightful position of dominion and authority. And we praise you and give you the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen.